Hi guys, welcome back to Blue Wife Life. I'm Becky, one of your co-hosts, and this is Mary, your other co-host. Hey, hey. Well, today we have a really fun episode. Well, fun, I don't know if that's the adjective we should use. Interesting episode. It was fun recording it, though. Didn't you think so, Becky? Oh yeah, for sure. We had a good time that night. We interview Karen, Karen Rooney. She is actually a real-life friend of mine that I just met in May randomly it's kind of a cool god thing and I did not know this about her when I first met her but shortly after I found out that she is a survivor she was one of the passengers on the miracle on the Hudson the plane that crashed on the Hudson River in 2009 so Mary why are we sharing this story well yeah it doesn't have much to do with law enforcement we being a law enforcement wife, we totally get that. But, um, I heard her speak at a Bible study one night and she just has this way about her of sharing her story. Cause I asked her, I said, I have to ask you about this. Like, tell me, I said, I don't want to know a lot, but just tell me, you know, the, when your plane started going down, like, did you think you were going to die? And she started describing it and talking about the story and how it affected her life. And I was like, oh, we have to tell this story on the podcast. It just is captivating and not in a cool way. It's just one of those stories that you're like, wow, like that really happened. Like how traumatic, but how amazing that everyone survived. But as law enforcement wives, we don't just sit around and talk about our husband's job 24-7. So that's kind of why a lot of times we want to bring in other aspects to life that you and I both think are interesting. And so that's kind of the background on why some of our episodes are heavily law enforcement and some and others are not. Yes. And in this episode, you are going to hear me joke about, did we say that I was a flight attendant yet? No. Becky oh. was a flight so that was another weird thing. It's like you were a flight attendant and we, I meet a plane crash survivor. So I joke about being a terrible flight attendant and I do not want to give anybody anxiety over this episode because a lot of people have legit anxiety about flying. And I used to always tell people, um, if you see a flight attendant nervous, okay, then you can be nervous. But there's very few times that you will ever, ever see that. And I was talking with one of my friends who's a flight attendant today, actually, and she was saying some crazy statistic about how safe you actually are being on a plane versus being in a car. I'll share that on social media later. But And I didn't realize until this episode that you used to get nervous for me. I did. And initially, you called me on your, like, what was it? Like your first solo, like you weren't in training? Yeah, it was the very first trip I did. And I did it for less than two years. So like, <laughs> I remember you called and you were like, I've got my first flight. I'm going to Paris. And I had a mini panic attack because I was like, she's going to be on over the ocean for like ever. Um, because I am scared to go to Europe or Hawaii because I don't want to fly over the ocean. So I was so nervous for you. But you just are like. Give me up. a. Give me all the berets and all the baguettes. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to borrow Kohl's, right? Right. That's right. <laughs> a flashback. 
to an earlier episode. Yeah, no, I didn't realize that. And you know what? Now that I don't fly as often, I get that nervousness. I do understand that now. But then I also have to tell myself that's so highly unlikely and unreasonable. So just bear that in mind when you are listening to this episode. Now, I do have amazing stories uh, from people during those two years. I learned a lot that people are just crazy. They are just crazy. <laughs> what was the craziest thing you saw? I mean, like off the top of my head, we were in Europe one time and a lady was getting on the jet bridge and like she needed help with something and I was looking at her purse. Um, she allowed me to. I wasn't just rifling through this random lady's purse. And then she was squatting down peeing on the jet bridge, like right next to me. And then I watched somebody clipping their nails as they were exiting the lab and just letting them fall to the floor in the galley. And I think my jaw hit the floor. Um, I saw a famous person on a flight out to California with their just bare feet up on the bulkhead. Like, I mean, what is the bulkhead? Oh, so they were in first class. And it's that wall. It's like kind of like a partition. And um, so, like, you might be sitting in front of it, and there's not a seat in front of you. It's just a wall. And okay. I was, like, bare feet on I, – I don't know. Just people think it's, like, their home. It's not your house. This is not your house. Put your socks on. Put your shoes on. You know everybody wants to know who that famous person is. It is – yeah. I am You're not going to say. I'll ask you after this because yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. You did. Some great stories, and I do remember one quick thing, and then we'll get to the episode. You told me one time when Stephen and I went on the, our honeymoon, you're like, "Do not try to be part of the Mile High Club because it is disgusting in that bathroom." Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Mm. Not that I would ever do that. That is not me. But I remember you saying that. No, you want to go be daring and be quote unquote dirty, be a dirty girl. You go do it somewhere else because you're gonna be just straight up dirty if you're in a lab. Yeah. Well, on that note. Yeah, that's there's no there's absolutely no segue into that. So guys, here you go. Here's the episode. I found it really seductive, right? There. Yeah, she did. Like, do oh, I? So yeah. you're thinking I just need to speak like this? Yeah, absolutely. Let's, Look okay. at how the. Do you see how this just Let's jumped? Try it again. This was yeah, you yeah, yeah. when okay. you started speaking. Yeah. That's me. I feel like I'm yelling. And then yeah, right Becky's really loud though. Okay, <laughs> she is. <laughs> this is the fourth time she has said how loud I am. But I am. She, yeah, I mean, I can cares. be loud too, but I'm trying oh. to like be like sweet, and I'm trying not to be like overly, you know, I don't obnoxious. No, no, no. Be yourself. Be yourself. Okay. So this one time I was on a plane. No, you know, I just don't want to be like, you know, like you're trying to. Can that be our intro for the, look, that's much better. That sounds so. Okay. Kick us off. Okay. Karen, we are so happy to have you on Blue Wife Life with us. Thank you for having me. Karen, we just became new friends like two months ago. We met for the first time. That's true. I know. The towns we live in are right next to each other and um, we're in North Texas and we met Karen joined my small group at church even though our church is so big you like hardly ever see the same people but your neighbor is in our small group so this is like our fifth or sixth time to hang out I know it's been fun every time and And now I have a new friend and she has a new friend and Karen brought me dinner I'd only (gasps) literally met you one time 
And I think I sent out a prayer request. I don't even remember. I was losing my mind or something. Uh, Stephen was out of town or something. Oh, no, he had his vasectomy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. He had his vasectomy. Yes. And um, I couldn't go to small group. And I said, Stephen has his vasectomy. The kids are, like, crazy. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be there. And she texted me and said, let me bring you dinner. And it was really sweet. And I can't have dairy or soy. And she made a dairy-free, soy-free dinner. Wow. That is a friend you want to keep around. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Well, and I learned something new about you because I did just meet you, that you're from Colorado and you don't like to ski. I know. You would be very surprised. I enjoy the summer and fall in Colorado. Colorado. I say Colorado. Colorado. What do you say? Because it's is, rad. Is that what okay. Coloradians? Coloradans? Coloradans say. <laughs> Coloradians. Do Texas people say Colorado. Colorado, 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 Colorado. Yeah, people say Colorado. We say Colorado. Huh. Okay, I got to get it right. We should do a poll on that with Insta stories. <laughs> we also Ooh. learned that I say Sawyer for my son, and she says Sawyer, which you he used says, to say Sawyer. I used to say Sawyer. Who says Sawyer? I say you Sawyer. You say Sawyer? Yeah. I Sawyer. say Sawyer now because of you, but I did used to say Sawyer. But we could do a whole poll on crayon crown. Crown. Wash or wash? <laughs> oh Lord, I think that's just country, not country. <laughs> no, I'm a. Are you? You're crown. Crayon. You're crayon. Oh, I'm crayon. With that crown stuff. I am Stephen and I. This is a. It's phonics, people. It's. I know it is. I think my kindergarten teacher crayon said crowns. No, oh. I'm gonna no, 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 you to no, no, not no. blame your kindergarten Matt, teacher. Matt Matt Parr was in my kindergarten class. We both say crowns. This is very, that uh, is why. let's take ownership. It is a crayon. I'm going to like this poll when it comes out. Like, just we, let people, like, send you, like, is it this or that? It's going to be good. Syrup or syrup? Ooh. Syrup. And I used to say syrup, but now I say syrup. Mobile or mobile? Oh, mobile. What Does everybody we, say is mobile? Like, no. Wait, the baby's thing that hangs down. Isn't it a mobile? No, I say oh, mobile. Oh, mobile. Yeah, I say mobile. mobile. I thought you were saying like a mobile phone or a mobile <laughs> phone. Like that I was would be a mobile, mobile phone. Alabama. Mary's <laughs> like, no, no, guys, it's mobile. It's totally mobile. No, no, mobile. <sighs> um, so tell us about your life right now, Karen. Introduce our listeners to who you are. Well, my name is Karen. I am a wife to Chris. He and I have been together for, I think it's 14 years, and we've been married for 10. We moved from Colorado three years ago for him to take a job with his company, and we have three kids, a seven, five, and two-year-old. And currently, I stay home with my kids. I homeschool my oldest, and then my little my middle boy is about to start kindergarten. And then I actually work with Gladney Center for Adoption, and I write home studies for them with all their new families who are adopting. And social work was something that I um, was doing before we moved to Colorado, and it's been nice to keep up with that. Okay, time out. We are in editing right now, and we had to edit out a long-winded question, so the conversation's going to jump right here. Tell us why you've done so many interviews. Well... Many people remember back in 2009, there was a plane that crash landed on the Hudson River with the pilot Sully and my husband. We were not married at the time. We were only dating. And I had gone to New York and we were on our way home from 
New York, heading to Colorado, and we had a layover in Charlotte, and we were passengers on Flight 1549, which is known as the Miracle on the Hudson. Wow. That is crazy, because I feel like you're in a very, very small club of people that can say they survived a plane crash. Yeah, and even after the crash happened, you know, we heard of things over the years, and it's very rare that you hear of a plane that crashes that survives, but for sure on water, it's very rare that Mm -hmm. the plane, maybe not every person perishes, but it's very rare that every single passenger walks away. I've always heard this very well could be edited out, like most of the things that I feel like I say. (laughs) I've always heard that if you think you're going to land on the water, you know, they tell you to grab your ankles, right? And and they say, and kiss your ass goodbye. Mm-hmm. Becky was a flight attendant. So Is that what you would have thought if you were on the plane that day? I don't think I would have had thoughts. I was a terrible flight attendant. <laughs> that should also be said that I did it for a very short period of time, like less than two years. She was 22 right out um, of college. But I was, yeah, I uh, on big planes. So yeah. tell us about that morning. Yeah, so Chris and I had spent the week in New York. We had been with our best friends from undergrad. They were both going to school in New York City, and we just knew it was going to be the perfect time to go and see the city. We had ended that week, and a little bit of a backstory, which might be important because the many beautiful things happened after the crash in spite of the trauma that was had after those moments but Chris and I had been dating for three and a half years and that trip had been planned um, months and months in advance and as time had gone on getting closer to the trip I had been feeling like I needed to kind of figure out where our relationship was going and we had never spoken about it but we both knew that we were at a pivotal place and that we probably needed to decide if we were going to move forward or cut ties and Um, kind of go our separate ways and that was not what I wanted I wanted to be with him but I was impatient and I was in love and I just wanted my life to start with him and so we had gone to New York and my hope was I'm going to make him know that I love him that I'm wonderful that I'm an adventurer because he's all about adventure and I'm not but I wanted him to like see these really great things about me so the week was just amazing and we did a lot of sightseeing and touristy stuff but we also just enjoyed being together and being with our friends and that morning we got on the bus and we headed into the airport and I remember thinking you know I'm gonna get on the plane early which is kind of weird for me because I actually hate to get on early because I do not like standing in the line from like the gate into the plane and But for whatever reason, that day I decided to get on. I said, okay, see you later. I'll see you in our seats. And as we were waiting in that area, this flight attendant came out. She said, all right, everybody, it's a full flight. If you have anything extra, you got to put it under. And that immediately, like, sparked this anxiety in me. I'm like, oh, my God, the plane's going to be too heavy. And, ooh, that just made me feel so, like, anxiety-ridden. And I got to my seat, and my seatmate... His name was Dick, and he was sitting in the window, and I was in the center, and then Chris would be on the aisle, and I immediately started up a conversation with him about what he does and his work, and that was kind of how I handle my nervousness, and he just, you know, talked to me about his family, and he works in New York, but he was going back to Charlotte, and Chris gets on the flight, and we are just kind of chit-chatting, and I, you know, the 
flight attendants went through all their safety stuff and I can tell you for sure that I barely paid attention. (laughs) You know, they're telling you the seat cushions are going to be life, you know, rafts and underneath the seat is going to be your, you know, vest and if the uh, oxygen mask comes down. But again, I don't remember much of that, but as we were, um, nobody does. You're yeah, not, nobody yeah. Pays attention. You're I not the only say, one. I've never paid attention. Well, to now you better believe if I see you on your headphones, I'm gonna tap you and be like, "You better pay attention because you might need it." <laughs> so the person you say, "Wait, I'm I was a plane crash survivor," and the person's like, all of a sudden, <gasps> yeah, <laughs> it's so true. People are always like, "Oh, I feel so much better." sitting by you I'm like oh I'm a good luck charm now yeah so we start taking off and Chris is an an engineering physics major under that was his undergrad and he later went on to get um, his master's but he was talking with me and as we were taxiing and as we were about to take off into the sky I said you know probably to humor him but also to get my mind off of it because I was feeling nervous for whatever probably because that flight attendant was like the plane's so heavy (laughs) and he's like telling me, and I asked him, I said, how do planes fly? Like, okay, just tell me what you know, honey. Tell me what you know about, you know, the air and all the physics of it all. So he is explaining to me in more of, like, the scientific terms about the air going up and over and how it creates lift as we are, like, ascending off of the ground. And we end that conversation, and I'm thinking, you know, it's, we're going to get the, like, ding that we can put our headphones on, and then we feel this insane shaking on the left side of the plane and we um, felt it and we heard it and it was just like this boom and the plane like shakes side by side and I just become like you know deer in headlights my eyes are just huge and I look at Chris and I'm like oh my gosh and he's like it's okay Karen everything's okay and I just immediately began to pray and then um, we are waiting. As the plane is going, we ended up making a really severe left turn to turn around. And my thinking was, we just took off. We are not far from the airport. He just turned around. We're going back to the airport. Chris and my seatmate, Dick, they were both looking out the window. But neither of them decided to tell me, we know we're going to be landing in the water or this is a water landing. So Chris never even told me what was going on. I just continued to pray, and then the flight attendants started to chant, brace, brace for impact, but that was after the pilot finally comes on, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain, brace for impact, and immediately the flight attendants start chanting, brace, brace for impact, heads down, get down, and my thought was, brace for impact just means a bumpy landing at the airport and no big deal. And all of that made sense because we turned around. We weren't that far from the airport. We just took off. And Chris, probably in God's mercy and grace, didn't tell me where we were going, even though he knew. And we kissed each other. And we actually didn't do brace for impact or the brace position for impact. I actually leaned over Chris and he leaned over me. So I was like on his lap and then he leaned over me. So it was a very bad way to crash what is brace for impact brace for impact means like you're like it's like you're crashing so did you think and when they were chanting brace for impact did you think we're about to crash I'm about to die no I thought we are about to land at the airport on the tarmac and it's going to be bumpy okay 
So they wanted you to grab your ankles. They wanted you to either put your hands above the seat in front of you with them like over your head, like tuck your head under and put your arms and hands over your head or grab your ankles and tuck your head down, which, yeah, we didn't do either of those things. Yeah. How many minutes have gone by by the time that the plane is going, moving, shaking? Like, I think it was a total of like maybe two minutes. Oh, wow. Like 90 seconds maybe. Okay. And how long had you been in the air? Seconds. I mean, we seriously took off. I think maybe we were in the... My gosh, I wish I had the time on that. We could probably find that out through a Google search. It's probably in my book. Yeah, we can get you a Google search. I think we were at... We might have been in the air for less than a minute. And then by the time we hit and landed, I think it was... Because we we took off at like 2.27 and we crashed at... Or 3.30... 327 and we crashed at 333. So they're saying brace for impact, brace for impact. You kiss Chris and lean over him. And uh, yeah, I lean over his lap and then he leans over me. But he in that moment never said, honey, we're crashing in the water. And the only reason he knew that is because we went over a bridge and he was thinking, well, if we're not going to an airport, then we are, there's no other where to, no other place to go. There's only one place. And he, I mean, God bless his soul, he had seen these planes that crashed in the 90s, you know, on like the coast of um, uh, Eastern Country, and the plane just like cartwheeled and broke apart. And so he was like anticipating that. So he actually thought we were going to like really be dead or Uh but I didn't I was like we're going back to the airport it's going to be great so we both entered into these last moments very differently and the pilot didn't say ladies and gentlemen this is your captain brace for impact in the water they didn't say that and they probably can't say that because it will create mass hysteria Uh you know um and I really think that was God just protecting me Uh not that you know, ignorance is bliss, but in, in that moment it was, I mean, I don't know where I would yeah. have been. And, and so, you know, I talk a lot about this. So when the plane initially hit the birds, the, the, the immediate words that came to my mouth as I started to pray was, Lord, lay this plane down gently, give our pilots everything they need to lay our plane down. And I just kept repeating, lay us down gently, lay us down gently. And, um, I think that was just like God giving me the words of you, like what he was going to do. Were you saying that out loud? Yeah. So other people could hear you. Were other people praying? What were the, do you remember any of the sounds from those moments right before? There were two things that I remember the most. One was the baby behind me who was crying. And the um, woman, there was one woman who stood up and she screamed because when the birds hit the engine, it created a lot of smoke and smoke was coming into the cabin. And she stood up in her seat and was like, there's a fire. And the flight attendants helped her get back in her seat. But those were the two main things that I remember. But after that baby stopped crying, it was very silent. And even as the captain said those words, it was still very silent. Okay, so the birds are what caused... The engine mm-hmm. failure, I'm assuming. Yes. So and then that's what caused the shake. Yes. So the can, yeah, Canadian geese are like 10 to 15 pound bowling balls. And we hit a flock of geese and they just totally ruined the engines. Do you know now, is that common? Oh, bird strikes? Yes. Bird strikes are 
common, but they don't usually disable both engines and people have time to get back to the airport because either they're like in air, like they're not at takeoff, um, or it's only usually one engine. So DFW actually here in Dallas, they actually are trying to implement some noise and radar to help with that because there's a big lake, I think, near DFW and they've, they've talked about how they've had multiple engine strikes, but it doesn't ever put the whole plane under. It puts an engine, which you can still fly with one engine. You're not going to make the whole flight. You'll still get grounded and go to whatever airport, but it's not going to, um, you know, disable the whole plane. So this was highly unusual I in terms say, of hitting both engines. I would say yes. And the fact that we had a, we had a few airports to get to, but be, where they hit, where we hit the birds in the air, where we were in the city. I mean, if we had maybe been in a different part of the country, they might have had like a better runway to go to, but wherever the, whatever, yeah, whatever the train was where we were, the city, the bridges, we had a lot of other things that were happening. Yeah. So you're, you've turned around at this point. Chris knows we're hitting the water. You're just on his lap. Ignorance is bliss. And now what? So we hit the water and immediately I sat up in my seat because the landing was bumpy, but nothing seemed out of the ordinary. And I sat up, and then immediately I saw water rushing up through the galley. And I, I mean, just sheer, sheer panic. And it, it was like right as I was seeing this water come up, all of a sudden just like commotion around me, people standing up, people climbing over seats. It, the cabin did go dark, and then Chris was, like, trying to unbuckle me, and that was really a blur, but I realized, we're not at the airport. Where are we? And it was it was so quick the way it happened. I think we were out of the plane within 15 seconds, but from the minute of seeing that water and then getting onto that wing, I really did think, I'm going to drown in this plane, and I'm going to die. And the only reason I thought that was because if you've seen, you know, obviously we've all seen shows, but one of the shows in particular, like my favorite movie is Simon Birch. And Simon Birch like saves all these kids who are drowning in a school bus in a river. And my only thought is you're in a enclosed plane in water. I mean, there's nowhere for you to go but down. And then the water was in the plane. So that was really, really scary for me. And Chris really helped me like grab a seat cushion and it was all happening so fast but from where we were and the seat we were in we were eight rows behind the wing we filed out and got out into the wing and Chris and I were some of the last people to get out on the wing on our wing partially because it just filled up so fast and then um, we kind of stood on the fuselage which is where the window is on the plane and we stood in that to kind of stay out of the water um, initially so what kind of plane was it? It was an Airbus 320. 20. Okay, so a lot of people might know, not know what that is, um, but it's about the same size as a 737. If It's made by two different people, a Boeing or Airbus. It's, what, it's the smaller portion of a big plane, if that makes sense in, like, layman's terms. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say, like... So three seats on each side. Yep. So yes. six total. In a middle, a center aisle. And there's like 12 first class seats. Okay. Is that right? 
Again, that yeah, was yeah, a yeah. terrible <laughs> flight attendant. So yeah. this is not me. There was 155 passengers on board. So was the how high was the water in the plane before you actually got got out on the wing? Well, where I was, it was at my ankles. But for the people in the very back, it was like up to their neck. Oh, oh wow. wow. Okay, so how long did it take everyone to get out? So you would have had a front exit on both sides, a back exit on both sides, and then the wing exit. Which the flight attendants opened, or you know how when you're sitting in the exit row, this might be something you yeah, don't remember no, I, because yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot going on in a quick amount of time. But you know when you're sitting in the exit row, they say if you're yep. under, I think 15, you can't sit here. I don't quite remember. And they say like, does that, everyone has to agree to sitting there? I think that's because you might be the one you that are. has to open the door. Yes. So is that pe- what happened? Yep. Those, okay. Yep. Those people opened the door. The back doors couldn't be opened because of the water. Oh. But we don't know all the details, but one of the doors was partially opened, and that did let a lot of water in. And I don't know if it couldn't get open all the way because of the water. We don't know the who pressure. opened it. We don't know if it was a flight attendant or a passenger. So the, there was only four exits for the plane available, and usually there are six. And Chris and I got onto the wing, and the water was at my ankle. And I remember Chris telling me to look back inside and tell people to start going to the front because our wing was full. And by that time, I think most of the people were off the wing. And I actually saw the, I saw Sully walking aisle by aisle, seat by seat, checking for people. And so. Was the water up to his neck? No, not at that point. Okay. So this is like within a minute. Yeah. Oh yeah. This was so fast. I don't know how quickly it took everybody to get out, but I think when the back passengers realized that they couldn't get out the back, they all just filed up front. And are people just jumping in the water with seat cushions? Did people remember? I'm, no, I'm curious yeah, human nature-wise. Yeah, yeah. Were people panicking and, like, pushing babies and children out of the way? Like, honestly, yeah. were I mean, they cli- hit, you're yeah. saying they're climbing over yeah. seats, so are they, like, pushing old people out the was door? It, was like, it like Titanic? Oh, my you know? gosh. You are going to laugh, honey. Oh, you're going to love this. Okay. Okay, so initially when we were at the – on the fuselage, there was the mom with the baby and her little child were behind me. And we took the baby and we passed the baby along the wing to get to the raft because the raft had been opened but was pretty full. And we, so we got the mom to the raft. And then we – once everybody was out of the plane, we were still sitting there in the Hudson and nothing was happening. And I remember looking out and being like, where are we? And – all of a sudden, I see this fairy coming for us, and I screamed. I was like, it's going to be okay. They are coming for us. And I just needed people to have hope because I needed hope. But I did say to Chris, I looked at him, I was like, this is like the Titanic. This is a dream. And it was very surreal, even in the moment, you know, thinking about, are we going to drown here? Are we mm-hmm. going to have hypothermia? It was very... So what month is yeah. it? Yeah. So it was January, and the it was probably, it was in the 30s. And how cold was the water? Oh, gosh. I don't even know. But the next day, there was, like, huge ice chunks coming down. What is, like, a pool? What is the temperature that you swim at in the summer? I think it's, like, 80, 70. So if you're in the Hudson, and it's... 30s, maybe right before freezing. 
or right above freezing. And there was a wind chill that day. I mean, it was freezing outside. It was super windy that day. I remember us walking through the city, and it was just like sheer were you chill. were you with Chris on the wing the entire time? Yes. So Chris and I got on the wing together, and we stood by each other. He actually helped a lot of people climb up the ladders to get onto the ferry, and I stayed with him. And it wasn't until the very end when the raft had been totally emptied of all the passengers and then the wing had been emptied, Chris, me, and one other gentleman were on the wing. And by that time, all these responders and fishing boats were there. It was the Coast Guard. It was the ferries. It was any and every kind of fishing boat, like little guys, you know, just anyone coming. Anyone could come. Yeah. And he, Chris, actually jumped onto this fishing boat. And I had this really big rope, but it was frozen. It was like pure ice. And I was like, honey, I can't grab it because we were trying to get the boat closer to the um, wing because I couldn't jump that far. And then I ended up just getting in the raft because it was freezing cold. And when we first got on the wing, it was 20 minutes from the minute we got on the wing at, and then till we were rescued. And the water by then was up to my chest. And Chris wanted me to get out of the water, so I went and sat in the ferry, or in the, I went and sat in the raft, and then all of a sudden, the U.S. Waterways, like, motorboat ski thing came and picked me up. And then that's when Chris and I got separated, because he then got onto the ferry after he got off the fishing boat, and my little boat took me to shore. And so he and I, at that moment, got separated. What, you went to shore... It was 2009. I'm sure you had no phone on you. Mm -mm. What do you do? Are you crying or are you, like, just in shock? Yeah, I think it was purely shock. So we initially were taken to a restaurant that was right on the Jersey Shore. And the restaurant closed down, or they might have just been about to open. And they, like, had us taking off our clothes and they were putting on... um, tablecloths and pretty quickly after we got in there they were like passing around drinks and we were trying to like make sense of it and we could see the plane like in the Hudson just like wing tipped up and I remember thinking well I kind of need to find Chris but at that moment they were like we just need to account for every single person so we can't be like looking for your you know boyfriend and so we all got these tags and then they were able to through that because all the passengers got taken to different areas, both New York and Jersey, and so we just needed to be patient so that they could make sure that nobody died. Who's they? Is it the airline? So at that moment, it was police, but then, yes, the U.S. Airways had just implemented um, some protocol that if they ever had an incident, they would have their you know flight staff involved. But initially, it was paramedics, and police that were getting all the tags and making sure that no one had passed away. So it was NYPD? Do you remember? Yeah, well, it was New Jersey and NYPD. Okay. It was the U.S. Um, Waterway. They were also involved in that. And then Red, um, the Red Cross is who I really remember a lot in. They brought clothes, but then they, again, everybody was just trying to, like, track everybody down. So I think every single group was, like, wherever you are, whoever's there – just start counting people, and so it was a handful of different people. Where was Chris taken? So he ended up going to the hospital because they said, just go get checked out for hypothermia. And so he got checked into the hospital on the Jersey side. 
I was on the Jersey side. And then eventually Red, Red Cross and the paramedics took us to another area. And when we got there, that's when the um, police were there and they just started in like asking questions and investigating and well, tell us what happened. Did anything seem suspicious? And like they're just trying to make sure it wasn't some attack or yeah, something crazy. I mean, it was only eight years mm-hmm. after 9-11, so not that long. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and what I think is so crazy, too, and what I think about is there's usually someone that needs assistance, whether that be handicapped, wheelchair-bound, there might be an unaccompanied minor or two on the flight that could be six years old. Did you have any assistance, people that needed assistance? I do remember one woman was with her mother, and her mother was older, but I don't recall if she mm-hmm. was. But they were a partner. They were a team, yes. you know, together. Yeah. So that's good. But then you have, like, a six-year-old mm-hmm. that might be traveling yeah. from one portion of the country to another completely alone. Yeah. So that it's just I know. crazy to think, I don't about think what I'll... individual needs are. And so yeah. getting everyone off the plane is that much more amazing. Yeah. In the moment, I didn't think people had died. I mean, I saw everybody up. They were walking around. It didn't even cross my mind that people would be dead. Did anyone die? No. There was only one injury, and that was from a flight attendant. Something in the back fell and hit her leg. And I think she had a cut. Okay, keep going. So we ended up getting sent to this nutrition center, which was like, you know, we walked in and it, I'm not kidding. It was pizza and donuts and police. I mean, it was all the things you think of when you're like, I'm going to New York. At, what a, are the at a nutrition yeah, center. at a nutrition center. <laughs> but it was donuts. like, the we showed up and the police were there and like, we just wanted to get you guys some food and pizza so and donuts. donuts. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, you live up to the name. Yeah. Um, And they were amazing. I mean, I voiced my concern about finding Chris and they're like we're on it we got we're gonna get someone out there we're gonna get someone to find Chris and we're gonna get you to him and and it was genuine care I mean people were like are you okay and they had this really old like huge screen tv and they were playing the news and we were all just sitting there in like shock that was us we that we were on that and so many of us were just looking at each other like for real yeah that just happened and there were people at the nutrition center who were like, get me on a plane, I'm going home. And they booked a flight and they left as soon as they could because, again, they needed to count everybody. But I jumped on Facebook because I didn't have a phone, I didn't have my purse, and I was like, just so everyone knows, like, we're okay. And it was like dial up, you know, like it was the oldest computer. And anyways, they're like, use the computer, whatever you need. And these women took our clothes that we were wearing to the dry cleaner and um, like, we're like, please just wash these as quick as you can. And they had the Red Cross bring us clothes. And I mean, it was seriously so amazing. And um, people were just sweet. And I, I remember even asking some of the first responders about being a part of 9-11 I was like you know this is probably nothing compared to that and you know just so sweet and so awesome and then I was like well when when am I gonna find Chris because it's been like two hours you know where is he and then the police officers that I were with they're like well just come on get in the cab like get in our car we're just gonna take you over there and as we were like leaving to have these cops take me to Chris 
these other cops showed up and they're like, we're here to get Karen, Karen Hill. My, I'm not Karen Rooney. I'm not Karen Hill anymore, but Karen Hill. And I'm like, that's me. And they're like, <laughs> well, we got your boyfriend at the hospital. And I'm like, oh, it's so cool. So oh. they picked me up and drove me to him and um, we were reunited. What did they say when you asked them about, I'm sure this is nothing compared to 9-11. Had any of them been there to, to compare that? I don't remember someone specifically saying, but, you know, they're like, you know, we're just a stronger community. I think I just remember them talking about how, like, they are just a more connected group of people. And, like, I don't know if one said, like, well, nothing shocks us anymore. I feel like that's what one of them might have said. But they were just like, you know, we're here for you. We're we're doing our job. I feel like they all just kept saying that. We're just doing our job. We just mm-hmm. We just want to take care of... The community so and there was one particular guy that was just amazing and so sweet and um light-hearted you know in that moment you're just like mm-hmm. you know want to cry or you don't know what to do because it's so many emotions and he just was sweet and so what has the aftermath been for you well it's ebb it's ebbed and flowed over the years and I think 10 years later I'm in a really healthy place Initially, the first year was like a high because we were dubbed the miracle on the Hudson survivors, and I got engaged <laughs> to Chris. Yeah. And I think we were just in this really great place, and I loved talking about it. I loved doing interviews. I remember, you know, just being on TV, and that was just like fun. So the first year was really amazing in the sense that all my dreams were coming true. I just wanted to marry Chris. And I was probably blinded by the fact that it was such a wonderful story. And Sully was a hero, and I was connected to him in some way. And we got married New Year's Eve of 2009, and three, two or three weeks later, the 15th of January was the one year. And we actually flew back to New York for the one-year anniversary. And it was pretty quickly after that that a lot of anxiety and fear and just a really dark place for me kind of started to stir up and I don't know if it was because I finally had the place and time to deal with these things so when we had gotten back right after the crash I started school and then we got engaged and I was just really preoccupied with the wonderful things happening in the here and now but then when we got married I moved to Colorado Springs and I was still in school but I was in school online and I wasn't working yet and life just became super slow like in a really great way I was married and we were living together now and we were meeting new friends together but I just had a lot more time and I just remember very vivid moments of feeling like all I could think about was well how am I gonna die and what if this happens again or what if something like that happens again and I kind of just started playing this what if game in my mind and and so for I would say a few years I really struggled and through that time I was going to trauma counseling I knew pretty quickly that this is trauma this is normal but not normal and I need to address it and so I just started going to counseling and just doing things to kind of focus on healing that experience and it's hard when something's so wonderful and you survived and but then there really is a moment that 
you know, happened for me, and that was in the plane when I really thought I was going to die. And even if it was, you know, 10 seconds of my life where I thought I was going to die, like that was a very real 10 seconds for my body and my mind and my heart. Mm-hmm. And even though it didn't turn out to be true, like somewhere in me really believed that. And um, I think I just had to get to this place where I addressed that issue and that moment and that thought. And um, so I was able to do that over the course of a few years. And then as as the years have gone on, like it ebbs and flows. Sometimes when it's the anniversary, the five-year I remember was a big anniversary and then the 10-year was a big anniversary. And, you know, everybody wants to talk about it and I get a lot more calls to do interviews and um, I get, you know, people who want me to, you know, um, share the story again. And it happens always around the anniversary. And so that time for me can be a little more depressing, not in the sense that I am depressed, but I do, I remember where I've been and what I've been through and the things I've had to overcome. Do you almost feel like it was a dream some days? That's probably a dumb question. Or a nightmare. Yeah. A nightmare. Like, oh my gosh, did that really happen? Or more so maybe initially after? I would never say nightmare. I would say dream for sure. Like, it just seems so surreal. Yeah. And like, I'm really like that happened and and because the, it is a miracle and the Lord answered my prayers when I said lay this plane down gently like he provided for that and then you know even you know when I think about all the things that I've been through personally and then I want to go on to be a social worker and work with traumatized children you know I would never want to wish things on my life that are painful but I have such a great opportunity now to care and love and be available to people that I think if you've never been there, and not a plane crash, but we all have our plane crashes, whatever that looks like, and if you never know what it's like to be, you know, in a difficult place, or to lose, or to be overwhelmed, or to have depression, or anxiety, or to feel at a loss for, you know, certain circumstances in your life, I just don't know how you can as easily um, just understand and care for the people in your life, and we're all on our own journey, but I... Um, I think I've tried over the years to just remember that these moments and especially when I get to this place where I don't feel like I can get out of these anxious thoughts, it's easy to be like, ugh, like, why can't I just snap out of it? But then I'm more relatable to someone else who really does have anxiety and I can talk about what that looks like for me. And I think it's interesting that you're saying it was, it was only 10 seconds where I really thought I was going to die. But how many of us have those moments in our life, whether we've been held at gunpoint, Mm. whether we've been abused to the point of thinking, like, when is this going to stop? Whatever it may be. I don't know that there's that many people that have had a real 10 seconds of, I'm going to die. So it's interesting that you're saying, I knew it was trauma, but it still takes a lot of working through because there probably are a lot of moments that you're that people have where they do need to work through things, even if it's been a short period of Mm -hmm. time, whether it be as serious as that Mm -hmm. or not. Like you can't underestimate what 10 seconds can, those 10 seconds, that effect it can have on your life. Yeah, there's an amazing book I have read and I refer to a lot. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. And this book just talks a lot about how on a cellular level, our bodies respond to our thoughts and our feelings and our fears and you know, I remember my sister-in-law, her, my niece kind of choked on 
something and she stopped breathing and she's like it was the worst 10 seconds of my life and of course you know she came back and she was fine but she's like she was lifeless for 10 seconds and you know you're that woman who can't get pregnant and you're going back in for that ultrasound and you know then they tell you you're pregnant and four days later you're not like all you know it's easy to like be like well that was a plane crash and that was so crazy but it's every single day we're going mm-hmm. through things that are overwhelming and we fight through it we're like well I'll try again I'll, I'll do another round of IUI or okay well God will provide for my husband or you know you especially military we have a handful of friends who are military and they're like sometimes we get these phone calls and they're we don't know where they're from but we know that it's like the military base and you're like holding your breath Mm. because you just don't know. And even again, for five seconds where you're just like, is this the call? Is Mm -hmm. this the diagnosis? And, you know, I think I wanted to play this game in my mind that I anticipate what could happen. Okay. If, if I am held at gunpoint, what would I do? And I'd play this game. If I was, you know, um, caught in a burning building how would I survive I played this like what if game of like how to survive and that wasn't doing me any good either because you can never prepare Mm -hmm. for the future and because I am a strong Christian and my faith has been so influential and, and like foundational for this experience the thing I've come to realize is there's what you can decide today you can't decide if there's going to be trauma or pain or loss or joy or whatever but you can decide like what do you believe what do you believe about who you are? If you have faith, like what do you believe about God? If you have a strong family, like what do you believe about the people in your life and how they'll support you? And you can like build up and grow in the things that you love and value so that if and when you are in that place, like you are, you've built a strong foundation. And I just needed to know that if I believe that I have strength and I have perseverance and then I have a God who's strong and faithful and then I have a husband like I will be able to overcome those things am I good at it no do I struggle oh my gosh all the time wow yeah yeah that's That's... really well said it's almost like you should write a book or something (laughs) yeah well fancy is saying that if you didn't catch the joke she did write a book tell us about your book well I was thinking how wonderful it would be to write a book and I remember at 18 thinking I'm gonna write a book someday about my life little did I know it could be about this so this gal who is just lovely her name is Jessie and she and I met one evening at a wedding that we were attending and we just started talking about what she does and I found out that she was an author and I told her I'd love to write my story and we just got together and she was the writer and I was the storyteller and We had spent a handful of years getting this book together. I think we started it and then finished it within about four years. And we sat on the book for a handful of years because we didn't have a publisher and we weren't sure if we were going to self-publish. And then in 2016, we got a call from the publisher, Deep River Books, that they wanted to um, help us out. And we just decided that it was time and we... Um, sent them the manuscript for Sink or Swim, Life After Crash Landing on the Hudson. And I actually am reading that book right now. And we did an interview this morning that I said, you're one of the two books I've read this year, and yours is like the other one. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so privileged. I read on 
a plane, ironically, yeah. which I won't read this one on the plane. <laughs> hey, seatmates, do you want to know what I'm reading? <laughs> yeah, my friend survived a plane crash. So here's something. When I found out, well, I met you in May at a barbecue, and then you asked me to be friends on Instagram, and I was looking through your Instagram, being a creeper. Um, who's this new girl? I figured out that you were a survivor of the plane crash, and I was like, Oh my goodness! And my one of my first questions was, "What was it like to watch the movie Sully?" Oh, absolutely, a good question. So I was pregnant with my third when that came out, and I was pretty adamant about not seeing it in the theater because I didn't want to be crying, and and I also have struggled over the years because I think sometimes people think it's funny, not because they really think it's funny, but they don't really realize that it was real people. And so Mm -hmm. they see the trailer or they see a recap or a replay. And I remember specifically this happened. I was speaking at a um, church and they replayed Sully saying, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain. And everybody started laughing. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like that's really hurtful. But they don't realize that this is painful and scary. And so I just knew I couldn't go to the theater because I was not about to hear someone chuckle or do something that to a normal person would be like, whatever. But for me, it was really emotionally charged. And I just wasn't sure I wanted to even watch it because I was pregnant and I wanted to have a calm pregnancy. Yeah. But my little sister came to town and... I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm in a really great place and I would love to watch it. And we sat on our couch in our pajamas and we had popcorn and we were snuggled up and I was with my sister and Chris and it was great and I loved it. And was it a true depiction? Did Hollywood Hollywood it up? Well, they did a really good job. And I think what can be said about any person who's watching a movie, especially if you watch like a movie about the World Trade Center, no one will ever be able to depict what you went through because your emotions are there and Mm -hmm. from the best that they could do yes it was a great movie and they they did all the things that we did well you're talking to the right audience because we have to watch movies with our husbands Mm. who are in law enforcement and obviously law enforcement it's very rare that you find a movie that it's depicted well not that I know but I have to sit next to my husband who will watch them do entry into a house and be like, eh, that's all the wrong formation. Mm-hmm. Eh, that's mm-hmm. not his fingers on the trigger already. Yep. Eh, mm-hmm. That's a really good comparison. Yeah, Steven's like, that would never happen. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's Hollywood moments and they make it more dramatic here, but in all reality, it was dramatic. Yeah. It was traumatic. And yeah. I have been probably very vocal about the crash and what it's done in my life compared to many of the passengers. Um, and I hope that, you know, my story is my story. I'm not speaking for anybody else on that plane and what they went through. And and I think that's really important for me to say because you don't want to just lump all these people into that experience because it's been so different. And as, as I speak to passengers, we have about four people who are some of our closest friends. It's Each journey has been so different since that day. And you really could... You know, it's like we all experienced the same thing, yet we both dealt with it so differently. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, Chris, he walked off that plane and he was like, all right, keep on living. I got to fly to Paris. I got to fly to Germany. And he didn't like it. It was uncomfortable, but he had no ounce of trauma. He wow. didn't lose one ounce of sleep. I mean, he just kept on living. And it sounded like he was very much maybe 
in control and an uncontrollable situation mm-hmm. being that he was helping people. Like his his fight or flight sounds like it went fight. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to help people get on this boat. Totally. This was such a fascinating conversation and I don't mean fascinating as in the plane crash was fascinating. I just mean to really visualize it from your perspective and what it was like in that plane and to see the water, you know, come rushing in. and um, But more so, I'm just so, I guess, impressed with, like, how you've just taken it and, like, like your life, you've, like, related, like, your book, how everybody has their plane crash. I wrote a book called Sink or Swim, Life After Crash Landing on the Hudson, and it was the story of the plane crash and what happened that day along with the way that I was able to deal with the trauma that came afterwards.